Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having uh, another good week out there. Weather is uh, getting a lot cooler here. I've been out cutting our firewood the past couple of days. Trying to get some of that ready before the real cold sets in. But it'd be nice to have a little bit lower temperatures. It still gets nice and warm in the day, but it sure heats up at night. Uh, so starting off, we'll start... Uh, talking about the question on everybody's mind is what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles they haven't looked all that great in preseason games they've been beaten uh, pretty soundly I know teams don't pull out all their best stuff in the preseason but um, I was hoping a little bit better showing from them than uh, what they've been putting out uh, here in Oregon um, clueless Kate has now mandated that everybody uh, in any in the schools or healthcare workers, first responders, everybody has is mandatory to get the vaccine. And she's kind of thought of everything on this. I heard recently that if you deny the getting the vaccine and they end up firing you over it, then you're ineligible for unemployment as well. Or if you, well, if you quit your job, you're pretty much ineligible for unemployment anyhow. But um, people that quit over vaccine-related issues or anything like that are not eligible for unemployment. And I've also heard, I think I heard that um, in the military, because all the military people are supposed to be required to get the vaccine now as well, and if you refuse to get it and you're a military member, then you will be dishonorably discharged and you will forfeit all of your military benefits, like your um GI loan, um, access to VA benefits, and things like that. Not 100% sure if that is the case, but uh, that's just what I've heard. And from the state of, or the way things are right now, it wouldn't really surprise me if that were the, were the case. And honestly, I'm not anti-vaccine. I've gotten, I got the flu shot um, pretty much every year when I was uh, in the fire department and things like that. But there's just been so many stories of things going wrong. And I understand that the amount of issues that people have, it's minor compared to the amount of people who've gotten the vaccine and are perfectly healthy afterwards. But I've gotten COVID and I beat it once. And, you know, there's uh, strange things can happen with the vaccine. You know, the, the incidents are minor, but do I want to be one of those minor incidents? Like I said, I've already beaten COVID once, so... Um, you know, I'd almost like to press my luck and try to, uh, and beat it again if I were to ever get it again. And then everybody saw that Pfizer now has reached, um, FDA approval. And I'm not sure why, um, the other companies, the Johnson and Johnson or the Moderna or things like that haven't gotten FDA approval, but the Pfizer one did. So that's just going to give them more of a push to get the vaccine. And really, I mean, <clears throat> I think, I mean, everybody agrees that COVID is a real issue, but the pushing of this vaccine, if it was such a big deal, you wouldn't think that they would have to push so hard on it. Some states, I guess, are even giving people like $100 to if they go get the vaccine, um, things like that. So it just, I don't know, it's a really weird uh time of history that we're in i was going to put a question out there on my facebook page of people anybody that's um older than me have they ever seen the u.s 
or society in general embroiled in as much turmoil as it is today. I mean, in my lifetime, I, I don't really, I mean, there's been times and situations, but right now, even without the pandemic, all just the other, all the woke stuff and things that are going on right now, I don't really remember a time where everything's so polarized and people are so up in arms with one another. And I mean, I got to admit, I've got my own uh, fair part in that to play in that as well. So and I think the last thing we're going to talk about is all this junk going on over in Afghanistan. Uh, that really seems to be coming uh, quite the topic these days. And whoever thought that the Taliban was going to go in there and it was going to be a peaceful takeover and things were going to be all right, uh, you know, when it was first coming out that, um, you know, the Taliban was hoping for a peaceful transition of power and things like that. I mean, that you're smoking pot because there's, I don't think the Taliban has ever done anything peacefully. They're basically murdering people in the streets, pulling women and children out. Did you guys all see the pictures of the guns and the helicopters and Humvees and stuff that they have right now? The Taliban is actually in control of more Black Hawk helicopters than 166 nations around the world. So that's uh, not making you feel very safe. And then I did see a report that the intelligence community now is reporting uh, that a terror attack on U.S. soil is imminent with the Taliban in power. And I really feel sorry for the people who have family members stranded over there. I mean, the Biden or whoever is basically pulling a lot of the military out. And so where do those people that are stranded that are actually U.S. citizens supposed to go to seek refuge and to become safe? Uh, I know that they're getting some Afghanistan people out of there and uh, moving them to different areas to help uh, protect them. But I really I don't blame the military for any of what's going on. So, oh, and one more thing, actually, I lied. I was listening to another podcast today, and they were talking about the uh, the border crisis that's going on down there around Mexico. And they had reported that in March of 2021, I think there were 100, it was like 170,000 illegal immigrants cross the border. And in March of 2020, back when Trump was president, I think there was like 35,000 that crossed the border. So you can definitely see where we're heading in that direction. There's been more uh, issues of people crossing the border than ever before. And the thing is, I mean, I can see people wanting to go and make a better life for themselves. I mean, I think things are pretty crappy down there in Mexico with things being ran by the cartels and things like that. And people wanting a better life, but there's got to be different ways to go about it. I mean, there's been countless number of people that have immigrated to this country legally. So just do it the legal way and people in this country would accept you with open arms, I feel. But we spent a little bit longer on the news this time than I usually do, partly because this one is actually going to be a pretty short episode. I was going to try to tie two episodes into this one, but the next one I think is going to be a little bit longer. Um, so I figured I'd spend a little bit of time and bore you guys with my thoughts on the news and the current um, situation on pretty much everything as I see it. But this week we're going to be talking about the, in the song it's just called Little Rock, but it was actually the Little Rock 9. And I think everybody who's seen Forrest Gump has uh, knows a little bit about this. But this took place, it took place in 1957. 
But a precursor to this, in 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision in the Brown versus Board of Education stating that racial segregation in schools was unconstitutional. And all schools were supposed to begin desegregating across the nation. And Virgil Blossom, who is the superintendent of schools in Little Rock, created a gradual implementation in 1955. And the plan was set to be implemented in 1957. And like it says, they were schools were supposed to be desegregating, but as you'll see, even in Little Rock and in places around the world or in, around the country, their desegregating was kind of like they were almost like they were allowing more black kids into schools, but they were making them all black schools or all white schools, something like that. It still, I don't feel was a true desegregation in the um, terms of what desegregation actually is. But what this Virgil Blossom did, it became known as the Blossom Plan, and it started with integration of Little Rock Central in 1957, and then that was going to be kind of like their test school. And then in 1960, they would start integration of a few junior high schools with a few black children, and then the grade schools would start in 1963. And just in my lifetime, I, you know, I don't know what was going on back in those days. I mean, I, I know it was really bad, but I don't, it just, it just boggles my mind that you couldn't just put all these kids in a school and they, they could go to school together and everything would be fine. I just, I, I don't understand segregation at all. But so it all sounds like things are kind of moving in the right direction, you know, that they're starting to create these plans and things like that. Well, that's kind of wrong because there were changes soon made to the plan, the Blossom plan, changing the transfer system for students to be moved out of their attendance zones. So like I'd said before, schools were creating a black majority at one school and a white majority at another. So even if a kid lived closer to one school, they would have to go to a different school, basically keeping up the segregation to a point. So even if you lived, if you were, say, a black child and you lived right next door to a school, but it was a major, majorly white school, you would be shipped clear across town to go to a different school. So the segregate, like I said, the segregation really wasn't working out, like, or the desegregation, I guess it was, it really wasn't working out. And furthermore, to allow white children, uh, they would get a choice on which school uh, they wanted to attend, but not the black children. So like I, in the example I used before, say a white kid lived right next door to a school, but it was a, a majorly black school, then that kid could choose whether or not they wanted to attend that school. So there was still, you know, choices given to some that those choices weren't allowed to the other, uh, to the other kids. So in 1957, a group of segregationists created a blockade in front of Central High, and they wouldn't let the black children enter. And the governor at the time helped them by deploying the National Guard to help the block. So this stinking governor that was down there, he wasn't sending the National Guard to help these kids out. He was actually sending the National Guard in to help the segregationists keep these black kids out of the school. And one of the black students was stated as saying they moved closer and closer. Somebody started yelling. I tried to see a friendly face somewhere in the crowd, someone who could maybe help. I looked into the face of an old woman, and it seemed a kind, or she seemed to have a kind face. But when I looked at her again, she spat on me, which is just sick. 
So with this going on, Dwight Eisenhower, he even ordered a meeting with the governor to not defy the Supreme Court's orders. Because remember, this was a, a ruling that was passed down by the Supreme Court, so everybody in the nation had to follow it. And Dwight Eisenhower, he called a meeting with that governor to try to bring a more peaceful resolution to the situation. And it didn't seem like the governor was really having any of it. So the mayor of Little Rock, he, ended up, uh, he called the president to ask for federal troops to be sent in to escort the nine students and force integration. So Eisenhower, he invoked the Insurrection Act of 1807, and this allowed federal troops to provide domestic law enforcement. So he sent in the 101st Airborne Division without its black soldiers. The, the black soldiers that were in that division weren't allowed to go in. And he also federalized the entire Arkansas National Guard, which took it out of the governor's control. And so that's pretty big powers that the president has, I think. So at one point in this thing, you know, there could have been a standoff between the actual federal military and then the Arkansas National Guard. But the president had the power to federalize the National Guard, which brought them under basically his direction. And so they would end up having to stand down or whatever he ordered. It took him out of that stupid governor's control. So with this going on, the nine students, they were eventually allowed in, but they faced horrible abuse once they got into the girls or once they got into the school. One of the girls had acid thrown in her eyes. Another one of them said that a group of girls trapped her in a bathroom stall and dropped pieces of burning paper on her. And one of the girls that was involved in this, she did fight back and dropped a bowl of chili on some of the boys who were taunting her in the lunchroom. And for doing this, it got her six-day suspension. But then the taunting kept on, and when she, re, uh, or when she returned from her suspension, the taunting kept on, and she was eventually suspended for the remainder of the school year. And I, the... There's some some of the gals are still alive, and I've watched a few different uh, documentaries or whatnot or interviews with them, and it's just horrible what these kids had to go through to just get a normal education. That's all they wanted. They just wanted a normal education like everybody else was doing was getting, and thankfully, I think for the most part, I mean, I, granted, there's still a lot of racism in the United States, but I think we've kind of turned the page on it to where it was as bad as it was back then. But I think the the uh, governor of all this, he deserves most of the blame, I think, in this. He should have never called in the guard or let it get to a point where that they were needed. Many say that what he was doing, it was based on political reasons because he was part of the Southern Democratic Party. And if he would have allowed the desegregation, it would he would have lost a lot of his support. And so obviously to him having the fame and the power or whatnot of the southern democratic party was more important than just being a decent human being and letting these kids attend the school you know it i think a majority of the blame lies on him and also i mean he should have I mean, the kids eventually did get in, but he should have gotten some sort of legal reprimand because he basically defied the Supreme Court's orders. And being the governor of a state, it kind of holds you to a little bit higher standard, I think, than just the normal everyday average Joe. But like I said, the students did get in. They finally got through. And like, you know, I think we've kind of turned the page to that bad of racism in the United States. We still got a long ways to go, I, I feel. But at least um, some of that stuff is behind us now and we can move forward. But anyhow, that's pretty much it for this episode. Hope you guys 
enjoyed it. Hope uh, you learned a little bit from it. I know that actually one of the podcasts I did, I think it was on Harry S. Truman, and I may have mentioned this before, it actually helped a girl that was listening to it get an A on one of her assignments in class. So um, I try to keep the podcast pretty clean so you can have your kids listen to it, and maybe it can help them out too. But go out there and uh, hit me up on the Facebook page at Podcast from P-Town, or you can uh, follow me on P-Town Podcast on Instagram, or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. And if you guys want to uh, converse about something or shoot things back and forth, you know, tell me what you think about the situation in Afghanistan or what you think about the vaccine um, issues, things like that. I'm not going to be get offended by anything. I love having those types of conversations with people that can keep it level-headed and just have a normal conversation. So even if you don't feel the same way I, I do, you know, I'll tell you you're wrong, but I'll listen to you at least. So anyhow, thanks a lot for listening. That's it for this one. We will see you guys on the next one.